In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast following a 35-16 Toronto Argonauts victory over the Ottawa Red Blacks. This podcast is brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant. I'm joined as always by JB. JB, that was maybe one of the weirdest games this season. Certainly one of the weirdest games Toronto has played. Why, what'd you make of that? Uh, yeah, like statistically it's kind of all over the place, um, but you know, for they, like I said in the report card, I thought that they did what they had to do against an inferior opponent. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with with the win. I think there's still things to work on, but I think that you know they clearly showed what I wanted, which is, you know, we're a tier above this team, and and we're building towards something. Now, they waited till the third quarter to show any of that, but it did get done. If I had told you pregame that the Argonauts would not take a single snap in the red zone, they never got inside the Ottawa 20 the entire game. If I told you that and that Ottawa would score a special teams touchdown, I think you would have to assume the worst. And yet they put up 35 points. <laughs> when has the team ever put up 35 <laughs> points without having a single red zone snap? No, again, like it was weird. Like it, it, it wasn't a great performance by the offense, um, you know. And not starting fast is definitely something that that bugs me. I think you'd like to be able to come out and put these things away early. Um, but you know, I mean, they still like as much as people like Macbeth or you like him. I mean, he's still the backup quarterback. Uh, they're still dealing with, you know, no, no. They're starting running back White is out. Their wide receiver unit is still a mash unit, so you know I think, I think that uh, that they were able to get the job done is terrific, and hopefully, uh, we can get more guys back for Hamilton. The opening drive looked pretty good, and well, until until the wheels fell off, I guess every drive does. So, Macbeth actually started the game hot. He opened seven for seven. Uh, he he said after the game he wasn't really sure what they were going to get from Ottawa. They're very multiple as a defense. They show all sorts of different kinds of looks. And then what they kind of came out with was a deep shell. And so they were forcing McLeod Bethel-Thompson to throw short, which is kind of what you suggested Ottawa should play in our OCDC segment uh, in our last podcast. And they did. Now, McLeod took those short passes, those first seven, did go seven for seven, but it was other things that were causing problems. That first drive, they ran a jet sweep to Ricky Collins Jr. And it, it was there, but DJ Foster missed his block and suddenly Collins lost five yards. Now they're facing a second and 15. And with short passes, it's difficult to recover from that. But they also struggled with their Pipkin package that looked so good last game. It was invisible today. And it got to the point where Dinwiddie just stopped running it. So he was stuffed on... He was stuffed on a quarterback sneak where they had they turned the ball over on downs. It was a third and one. And then there was another play where Pipkin was in there and they lost five yards. And so you saw the immediate impact of that. Faced with that situation again, second and one this time, deep in their own end, they don't send Antonio Pipkin and they keep McLeod Bethel Thompson out there. And he doesn't get the sneak as well. And Coach Dinwiddie after the game commented that 
he had all sorts of ideas and packages that he wanted to get into. But by the time they got to half where just, you know, nothing was really going right for the offense, he decided to call that off. He actually said in the press conference, he wanted to make sure the offense didn't ruin the game for everyone else because the defense and special teams at that point were playing so well that he basically called off all the plans they had. And their goal was just simply, let's not blow it, which he didn't word it that way, but you rarely hear a head coach talk like that, especially an offensive head coach. But that was, you know, that was what was happening in the first half. And if not for that punt block touchdown, the the team was basically shut out. They had a rouge. And then fortunately, Dion Pellerin got in there on the on the punt block. Uh, Dejan Brissett was there to scoop it up. He brings it in for a touchdown. Ottawa's still leading 9-8 at the half on the strength of their three field goals. At halftime, you had to have been nervous, right? No, I, I wasn't. I mean, I, I just didn't think Ottawa had anything. Uh, you know, they had the pump block, um, you know, score against them. But I didn't feel like Ottawa showed anything offensively um, that made me worry. The quarterback ran a little bit, but I, I didn't think that I thought they had him well in control. It felt... It felt like what it looked like to me, which was the defense was playing well. The offense looked like an offense that was missing a number of starters. And, you know, Macbeth was having a hard time because he's not built to play that underneath game. And it's not really his thing. And and, and missing White was a big deal. Um, you know, so I, I was... Uh, I wasn't even that upset. I thought, like, yeah, that's that's what an offense looks like when you're missing a bunch of guys. Uh, even even against Ottawa, it's it's hard to to be efficient when you're missing guys. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. I don't, you know, I I think that um, I was I was happy that they kept that. I was happy that was their mindset. You know, they didn't push. You know, Macbeth did exactly what he's done as a as a backup, which he didn't do as a starter, which is, you know, just keep it in front of you. You know, you're not you're not here to gunsling. Uh you're here to to run the offense as best you can without turning it over. And, you know, I think he's been a very professional backup in that regard and was again tonight. I can't believe how calm you were at the half because I was going bananas and usually that's sort of a role reversal that we've got. At, at halftime, I was so frustrated with the defense and I'm more frustrated with the offense, but I'm going to start with the defense. They gave up three field goals in the first half and nine points. You know, if you're giving up only field goals, I guess the bend but not break is working. The reason I was so frustrated with that is that I felt there were opportunities there in the first half where I wanted to see backside blitzes, where I wanted to see... Uh, confusing coverage and take advantage of this rookie quarterback who doesn't have that much CFL experience. They didn't do any of that. There was no confusing coverage in the first half. They didn't send any blitzes from the blind side. It, it was just very vanilla. They were essentially keeping it in front of them and saying, okay, kid, try and take it down the field with 10 passes. And he couldn't do that. And so Ottawa kept settling for field goals. But I just felt like the opportunities were there for for pick sixes and for, you know, fumbles, turnovers, you know, big sacks. And so that's what was frustrating me. But I, I guess I guess the strategy was correct in the long run. And and I'm wrong because, you know, it, it did ultimately work. The defense themselves only allowed nine points the whole game. And so I can't really complain about that. And yet 
I did feel frustrated. You didn't you didn't get any of that at halftime at the end of the game? You were happy with the plan? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I thought going in is we're better than them. They don't deserve anything exotic. So why put on film anything exotic? We can, you know, we can we can just line up and play them, uh, which is what we did. And, you know, they we ended up getting, um, you know, a couple of picks. But, I, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, defensively, the, you know, the goal is to win the game. And if you can win the game playing vanilla, then perfect. Like, there's no need to show off. Um, I was, you know, I was happy with that. And, uh, you know, a little more ball hawking in the second half, which was fantastic to see. I knew this team could uh, could score. Um, and if 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 the Argos defense can now start contributing scores, uh, you know, we're going to be we're going to be a force to be reckoned with, because, I mean, we really have only had offense scoring the ball in the first half of the season, special teams and defense haven't really contributed anything on the scoreboard. So, uh, you know, that was really exciting. I mean, if, we, if we're going to get some points from the defense, I think I think we're going to be really something. Then we go to the strangest third quarter of all time. Everything about this quarter was Twilight Zone-ish. So, first of all, the Argos scored four touchdowns in the third quarter. Four touchdowns in any quarter is extremely rare. I, I don't remember many instances of it happening a few times. But if you're going to have four touchdowns in a quarter, it's not the third. It's always going to be the second or the fourth, just the way the CFL clock runs. To score four touchdowns in the third quarter, I don't know if that's the only time that's been done in, in Argo's history. I'm sure it hasn't been done a lot. You know, the Argos have been around a long time. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's happened at, at some point, but it was such a weird quarter. It starts off with that screen pass to DJ Foster, which almost didn't get there. It oh. was a beautiful play call from Coach Dinwiddie. It was the perfect time. The offensive line sold it extremely well, especially on the left side. DJ Foster sold it well. McLeod sold it well. I thought he was taking the sack. I didn't see it developing. And from way up in the press box, usually you do see that developing. But that ball, I thought when it was in the air, wasn't going to make it. No, that would have been an absolute dagger uh, if he had short-armed that one. That was that was uh, that was a big turning point. DJ Foster was also worried about that. I talked to him about that after the game. He said he saw the ball, you know, coming towards him in slow motion, and he had a feeling it was wide open on the left side of the field because as he was leaking out, he's noticing that there just aren't that many guys around. And he turns around and he, he said he he squatted down as low as he possibly could, and you know, was contemplating having to sort of dive forward for it, but it, it just got to him. He turned around and all he saw was Jamal Campbell and open field and he just took off 63 yards for the touchdown to put the Argos up and then it was just more Argos and more Argos we had Cordero Law deflect a pass Dexter McCoyle takes it 71 yards for a touchdown and then um, Bethel Thompson hits uh, Damien Jean-Pierre for a 21 yard touchdown and then just a couple plays later Chris Edwards picks off a ball for 82 yards for that pick it was just it's such an amazing showing from the defense. It didn't look to me like we had a lot of different play calls defensively in the second half. I'm interested to see that on the rewatch. That's what I'm most interested in seeing is structurally what the defense looked like. It just looked like the players themselves were being more aggressive. Is that how you saw it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely didn't look like there was anything terribly exotic in any of the plays. I think that, you know, Evans is a young kid, and I think he started the press, which is what the defense was built to do, you know, that they were basically keeping everything in front of him. And he started the press trying to make a play, and, you know, and those ended up in turnovers. I thought each of the turnovers were really just the result of uh, of a poor throw and and a guy being in the correct position. Um, I think so. it's it a, a little bit of bad luck on the law deflection for, for the quarterback because, you know, passes do get deflected. This one went right to Dexter McCoyle. It was well-timed, obviously, by law. He's a veteran. He's played this game a long time. He knows, you know, how to time his jump. And, you know, maybe this is a, a rookie quarterback that just isn't quite as experienced in terms of finding those windows, especially in the Canadian game because the windows are in different places than they are in the American game. But yeah, Law gets up there and deflects it. The Chris Edwards pick, I was interested in hearing what he had to say after the game because I, I wasn't sure what the coverage was. Uh, I didn't see a replay of it. It looked initially like man to me, but then he cut underneath, which is, you just don't see that a lot unless it's right on the outside, on the sideline. And that was sort of by the hash. But he said it was it was his own coverage, but he was doing his best to disguise it as man for as long as he could. And he believed that uh, Evans, the quarterback, red man, and that's you know what made his receiver appear open, and then suddenly he he undercut that route for the for the pick, and then took it the eighty two yards. So that was again a veteran capitalizing on an inexperienced player. Because I think my question to him was was that a was that a film study pick, a play call pick, or or a, I've played football for a long time pick, and he picked option number three. He's like I've you know I. I know how to disguise my coverage. I know it's a young quarterback. I know what he's seeing, what he's thinking, and he took advantage. So again, the, the benefit of having experienced players on this roster. Yeah, it, it's it's something that the defense has not really shown to this point. Um, so I, I think that's going to be, uh, uh, you know, that could be a major factor in the team um, really taking the next step, which is, a, a great team has a defense that scores. And I think that the potential is there. And, you know, Ottawa is not very good and their quarterback is highly inexperienced. And, you know, I, I'm not necessarily taking tons from the game, but, you know, you play who they put in front of you. And I thought it looked like uh, an elite defense playing a rookie quarterback, which is, which is great. Now they won at home. And so they're really developing a great vibe at home. So that really even accentuates how important it is to try and get some home field in the playoffs. The strangest part of the third quarter wasn't any of those four touchdowns that were scored to me. I've watched a lot of football games, and there is something in that third quarter that I definitely have never seen before. So a fan ran onto the field and crossed, you know, in front of the Argos bench. And you've seen fans run on the field before in, in sporting events and in football games in particular. You know that it it's usually about three seconds before the fan just gets, you know, pile-drived into the ground by a security guard. They, they never make it that far. There's usually a short chase, and then they just get absolutely crushed by somebody. And so I was kind of waiting for this to happen. And I was looking on and ran in front of the Argos bench, and I thought, oh, here it comes. But nothing. And then he ran in front of the Red Blacks bench. And then he got sort of tired of running around. And then he walked through the Red Blacks bench. And I'm still waiting for... like There was there was nobody. I've never seen that in my life before. Eventually, what looked like a stadium worker just kind of told him to get out of here. 
And so he did. I, I, don't, I don't know how that ended, but I have never in my life in a professional sporting event seen a fan run on the field and get tired and just leave. So that was that just kind of capped what was the strangest quarter of football uh, I've seen this season and, you know, maybe in my life. Moving on to the fourth quarter, I was so disappointed in that punt block touchdown that Ottawa scored because and also the fumble that quarter, uh, Chandler Worthy fumbling the football on a, on a return because Coach Nelson was having such a huge game. I was cheering for Coach Nelson in this game. It was so big for him going up against his his former team. He wasn't the special teams coordinator in Ottawa. He was the DC and the linebackers coach, but he was there for years. And here he is going up against his former team. He's determined to stop Devontae Dedman, which he did. And they scored a special teams touchdown. And he celebrated like I've never seen a coach celebrate before. And he was so happy. And then it, it all gets deflated in the fourth when Ottawa blocks a punt then they have a fumble on special teams. And so all the air is, is let out of the balloon there because it was such a great day for, for Coach Nelson up until that point. That, that was really disappointing. What did you see on that punt block? Did it look just like all well, the other punts I mean, we've had blocked? Yeah, look, it's getting to a point that's embarrassing. You should not be giving up multiple punt blocks in a season. You know, it's not even multiple. Like We're getting into you know the area where we have names for it, like half dozen no, I mean, come on, like, you know, like if you're a high school team and you play against teams that are better than you, maybe you run into it, but a team full of professionals should not be getting punts blocked. Uh, you know, I looked at it a bunch of times, um, you know, Hoyt uh, went with his guy outside and staying inside and Cross had two guys come at him, which is a tough situation, but you got to pick one. You know, I get it, but you can't chip both. You know, I think you got to pick one. You don't you don't want to double down on the mistake of Hoyt letting his guy go through inside. So um, that wasn't good. Maybe Beatty could get the ball off a beat faster when you're punting from that deep in your own zone because you know they're coming, right? If you're punting inside your 20, you know it's coming, especially if you've shown it's been blocked before. So maybe... Maybe he could switch to like a one-step quick punt, you know, um, something. I don't know. It's just, you know, it's terrible. And and, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to need another up back there. I don't don't know what the problem is in terms of, seems to be a lot of cross. Um, And then Worthy, it didn't end up meaning anything. But man, that fumble was just a killer, absolute killer in terms of giving the other team um, some, some energy in some belief. So I wasn't really happy with that kind of situational. Yeah. I mean, you never want to fumble, but I mean, there are some times that are worse than others. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether he was trying too hard to, to get the team back into it. it was not a great return game from worthy. I thought he's shown some potential in a couple of the earlier games, but he didn't show anything to me there. So that was, that was disappointing um, from a return point of view. And, I don't know. I mean, I keep, you know, I don't want to bang on cross, but it, you know, it seems to be cross being beaten over and over again. I don't, I don't know why he's still the, the personal protector. 
And the only thing I can think is that it is that it, it must not be cross. And, you know, we don't know exactly what the rules are based on their scheme. It does look like it. I, I didn't see this one today, but, you know, in the past we have seen that. But it, it looked to me today like somebody on the on the front line made a mistake because there shouldn't really be two guys coming through to cross his side. Yeah, a guy and, crossed Hoyt's face and he went with them. And then and then and then two guys came inside you know, leaving Cross a choice and Cross kind of chose neither. <laughs> Which it's always, yeah, that's always the wrong decision. Uh, usually you take the inside guy. Uh, that would make more sense. But yeah, I, I we, we keep saying week after week, they've got to sort this out. But yeah, there's there's a point where it's, you, you've got to make a change. You, you have to do something, something. And, and if it's not Cross, then somewhere else, like something has to change. And maybe it's just that maybe there's no one better. Uh, but then you have to find somebody better. And I know they've brought in some guys that we thought we might see put in the position of up back. And today, especially in a game where you dress four fullbacks and only one running back, I thought we would for sure see a bit of a mix up back there, but uh, seemingly not. So we'll see if things change for uh, for the, the game at Hamilton. Now, a couple of things uh, on that, though. In the fourth quarter, another thing that went wrong was... Long snapper Jake Reinhardt was injured, and it, it looked like a pretty nasty injury. I, I thought initially it was either wrist or or forearm. Coach Dinwiddie after the game suggested it might have been elbow. He didn't seem too sure, and uh, but he did say he didn't expect Reinhardt to play in the Hamilton game. No, I didn't either. But to hear it from the coach, I, I think that suggests that yeah, we probably won't see him in the Hamilton game. So now the question is, what do you do? You've got You've got Hoyt and Kassar, who can both long snap. Hoyt, I guess, was in there today after after Reinhardt went down. But they're not professional long snappers. They have been long snapping. They, they've they been working at it ever since training camp. We saw them out first few days of training camp, and they've, they've worked at it ever since. But it's not something that you can just, in a, a few months, get up to speed to the caliber of a professional long snapper. There's a dramatic difference between Reinhardt's long snap and Hoyt uh, with his long snap. We saw that today. Now, Beattie got off two very quick punts with Hoyt long snapping, and he he had to. The balls weren't floating back there, but they weren't coming at nearly the velocity that we saw from Jake Reinhardt. No, of course they weren't. That, that makes sense. So what do you do now? Do you bring in another long snapper with this short turnaround? You can't even, you can't even bring someone in that hasn't been quarantining. Because, like you can't bring in someone from the states. There's not enough time. You don't have the five days of clearance. So what do you do, JB? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably try and steal somebody from a roster, in terms of the practice squad and the way the league is set up. Um, I think you t- you take a look around the way Ottawa bore one of our offensive linemen. Maybe you can find somebody who's got long snap on their resume and bring him in for a game. And if the long snapper is going to be out for, for a couple of games, then you, you got to, you know, start looking through your Rolodex and uh, and find yourself a long snapper. I, I don't think you want a linebacker doing it on a regular basis. So that, that would be my hope that there's somebody kicking around on practice squads who, who has that. Yeah, you can be sure they are scouring the, the the wire right now, trying to find somebody because they need a solution by Monday. I, I just don't think you can 
going to Monday's game without that. And and we don't know. Like, hopefully there is a long snapper on somebody's practice roster. Long snappers are, I mean, they're important and everyone values them. You know how important long snappers are. You 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 don't, that's why teams don't change them. You keep guys for, for 20 years sometimes long snapping because it's hard to find a good one. And so is there one waiting out there on another practice roster on a taxi squad? Uh, are you going to have to make a, are you going to have to make a trade? Like, I, I don't know what the, the answer is here, but something needs to be done in a pretty short turnaround. The, the other injury news, uh, seemed to be Shane Ray and it was hard to tell exactly, I was going to say how it happened. I, I know how it happened. So Shane Ray was chasing the quarterback. He was rolling out. This was early in the game. It was early first quarter and Ray was chasing him to the outside. Uh, Evans did sort of a, a little juke step. And Ray got his feet kind of caught in the turf, tripped a little bit, and then immediately reached for his hamstring. And it was a slow, slow walk to the sideline, back to the bench. And, you know, to me, again, not knowing anything, but that this didn't look like the kind of thing that you just jump right back up and and get out there again from. And, and I don't think we saw him the rest of the game. So that's another one that's really upsetting because he, he has looked so good in his limited time the Calgary game, he gets hurt. Here he plays a few defensive snaps and he's injured again. And it's just bad luck. It's not like it's the same thing happening again and again. And this happened to him in the NFL, but again, different body part. It's been it's been wrist, it's been it's been hamstring, it's been finger. And you know, here he is out again. Hopefully, it's not as long an injury as it appeared to me to be on first glance. But yeah, I feel for that guy because I, I know how excited he was to get back out there today and to have this happen was just, you know, it, it's upsetting. Let's move on to our players of the game. JB, why don't you start us off? Let's start with the offense. Who was your offensive player of the game in, in what was sort of a weird statistical game? I, you know, I'm not, I'm not even convinced I know where to go on either side of the ball here. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was a weird game. I think, you know, because really it was such a special teams dominated game. I, I'd give it to DJ Foster. I thought, you know, being the single back, um, I thought he did pretty well, um, you know, in terms of being able to get some runs. He looked, again, super dangerous coming out of the backfield. I don't know why why Ottawa <laughs> refused to reroute him or, or just allowed him all those free releases, but God loved them. Um you know, I thought I thought he ran well enough, and he had the turning point touchdown. So for me, offensively, DJ Foster. See, DJ Foster, I'm going to go with him too, just because there aren't really other options. And, you know, I think it, in truth, it's probably one of the linemen, but I will have to go back and and rewatch the film to see which one. It was really tough to evaluate them individually live. You can't really you know watch them all that closely, or I can't anyway, and. You know, looking at DJ Foster's stats, uh, he was averaging 3.6 yards a carry, which, you know, that's that's not a great number. 18 carries for 65 yards. No. He commented after right. the game that he commented after the game that it was the first time in a long time where he's been the feature back and the workload that he got was it, it was tough. But yeah, those those aren't great running numbers. Um, but he had two really big runs near the end to really put the game away, a 10-yard run and an 11-yard run back to back. But then that, but then that makes you look back at the other runs and say, well, then that means you had really 16 carries. Those other 16 carries were for about 40 yards, uh, so that's not great. But he was a, a decent receiver. Now, 
One of those passes that he took was that 63-yard screen pass, which was huge. And again, you take that away again. He led the team in receptions with five and in yardage with 79. But you take away that screen pass, and now you've got four catches for 16 yards. So, you know, he had that one big play, but it, it wasn't, you know, a huge numbers game for him. And yet... I have nobody else, so yeah, I'm going to go with I, DJ Foster. Yeah, I mean, in the end, he I think he's the backup running back playing with the backup quarterback. So my my kind of bar for them is is low or lower. Yeah, and that makes sense. And, and I, I think, like I said, there's no one else that I, I think the next person you're going to pick is probably McLeod Bethel Thompson. If if you had to pick somebody that wasn't DJ Foster, and I, I think DJ Foster deserves it in that case. Yeah. Let's go to defensive player of the game. Maybe a little bit easier, but this was such a such a weird game on this side of the ball too. Where'd you go for defense? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It feels like I just keep picking the same guys. Um, you know, I thought uh, my guy, the CN Power, uh, Sean Oakman, looked great. He's going to be an all-star, in my opinion, in the middle of the field. I thought he looked great again. He had another sack, uh, rock solid all game. Um, so I, I thought about going him. Um, I, I thought Creston Butler played great. You know, I thought that he was flying around and, and really, um, you know, was intimidating out there. Uh, but I think I think I'll go with Edwards again. I know. Um, just because I think he's the best player on the defense, and he was again. He had seven tackles. He had a pick six. You know, he's he's a monster out there. Yeah, I I can't really disagree with you. I'll see if I can find some other names just to make it interesting. But you can't argue that he led the team in tackles and he had a pick six. He looked great out there in coverage. I, I thought uh, Jamal Peters actually had a really good game too. That's one of the advantages, you know, from you know, watching it in the press box is you do get to see the coverage so much more, and that's something you didn't get to see much on the TV angles because he just wasn't involved in that many plays. Because his guy was taken out of the play. There were a few pass breakups that he had in there where he just perfectly timed a hit. And and his coverage was really solid. But you're right, Creston Butler played a great game. Uh, I, I thought Sean Oakman too. And, and part of his job was made easier by the fact that we had Drake Nevis out oh, there yeah. again. What a great yeah, addition. Like You can oh. just tell immediately uh, how how the middle of the line solidified. Yeah, absolutely. And when you've got Drake Nevis, suddenly Sean Oakman's job, because he, Sean Oakman really isn't, you know, he's he's not a nose. He's not really a three tech even. And so him him playing on the inside with Nevis out there makes a big difference. And when you've got someone like Nevis that can spell you for a bit when you need a breather. So I, th- I thought that was huge. Uh, I, I think you got to tip your hat too to Trevor Hoyt, who really never left the field. He was listed as the backup middle linebacker today, but he started the game, and that's an interesting one, too, because I did expect to see Jack Kassar with a lot of playing time out there. Uh, he was listed as the starting middle linebacker and really didn't get too much of a run. He had a great special teams game, but you know, wasn't really out there at, at middle linebacker. And I, I think maybe they're thinking about having a more mobile quarterback. Maybe they're thinking about Hoyt as the middle linebacker. Ottawa wasn't ever really going to be a threat running the ball other than this quarterback. And so maybe Hoyt was the better matchup in that case. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like come Monday for Hamilton's game, because it's a very different team. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jack Hassar taking more snaps at middle linebacker on Monday, but we'll see. Yeah, exactly. Like, I wonder if if they like, yeah, I think we both know uh, the weapon Jack could be on blitzes. 
you know, whether Coach Jones is holding back on that or, you know, sometimes coaches just kind of fall in love with a kid and, you know, are going to run him until he runs out of gas. So it could be that too. Time for best play, worst play. Obviously, we'll begin with best play and I will, I'll start this one off. To me, the best play was the screen pass touchdown to <laughs> DJ Foster. And the reason I loved it so much is that screen passes are an art. And as somebody who has called screen passes, who screen passes that have been blown up 10 yards deep into my backfield or screen passes that have gone for touchdowns, I appreciate the finer points of the screen. And this was executed perfectly. It was called, as I said, at the perfect time by Coach Dinwiddie. But what you want to have on that screen pass is, is everybody on the defense has to believe this is a deep pass. The quarterback is in trouble. And the defensive line has to believe they beat their guy. So the left side of the line, because the screen pass is going to the left, the left side of the line has to block for a second and then convince the guy they're blocking that they were so good that they beat their offensive lineman through. It has to be convincing. Otherwise, they're going to sniff it out. So the Ottawa line couldn't have bought into that better. McLeod Bethel-Thompson sold it. He backed up. He started looking panicked and rolling out to his right as he was being chased by these Ottawa defensive linemen. The defensive secondary was was gone. They were way the heck back there. And so McLeod Bethel-Thompson, by the time he got that pass to D.J. To Foster, and one of the reasons it was short is that he let those linemen come right up to him they were in his face and so he really had to arc that ball to get it over them but it was just executed aside from that throw being you know a little nerve-wracking it was executed perfectly it was a beautiful thing to watch blocking downfield nobody was going to uh, execute a block in the back or take a penalty i was waiting for that too because i've seen that happen enough and none of that happened it was beautiful a gorgeous touchdown pass and it was so needed at that point in the game what was your best play uh, yeah, I mean, that was a great play. I mean, God, uh, you know, Ottawa, I mean, you know, that's, that's, you know, Ottawa is going to Ottawa, you know, that's a pretty, they did, they certainly didn't play that one very well. <laughs> they didn't, but it was sold well. It was, you got to <laughs> yeah. give the Argos credit. I know. And, you know, they're terrible. And so they got excited about, you know, not being terrible. So that's, it works well against teams like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I went back and forth on a couple of things. I mean, just to, to to touch on, I, I I can't believe Ottawa didn't run any trick plays. I, I just yeah, can't, and I just can't believe that they thought that they were Toronto's equal. I just think, well, you know, what's the point if if you're not going to throw the kitchen sink at this game? I just think that's I don't know. That's just such conservative football thinking. Like, well, that's not what we do. The what you do is lose by a lot all the time. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you wouldn't take some swings. I just, anyways, I, I, if I were an Ottawa fan and you're hoping for this game to kind of be a high point, you're like that, that was the game plan. We're just gonna, just gonna line up and play the Argos. Oh, all right. But um, I, I thought that's exactly what they would do. I think, and, and they did. And I, you know, they, they were in it though. And I think that just reinforced no, they were their never, poor they decision. They were never in it. They definitely felt in it. You know, listening to the press conference on the Ottawa side, oh, they God. felt they were the better team in the first half, you know, playing the conservative way they were playing. And they were winning 9-8 at the half. I know, but it was, I don't know. I didn't. I, I just felt like 
it didn't feel that way to me. It felt like, you know, it felt like the weird, weird not t- taking care of business. And uh, I, I just felt like Ottawa never, never threatened at all in that first half. I thought we didn't play well in the first half. Um, that's what it felt like to me. It didn't feel like Ottawa dictated anything. I didn't feel like Ottawa was shutting down our offense, but you know, I mean, look, those guys can play that way, and you know, I hope I hope it was worth it. <laughs> so this doesn't qualify as you having picked a best play. Do you have one? Um, oh God, yeah, I I think probably I, I'll go with the Jean Pierre touchdown. Uh, I thought that that iced the game. Um, I thought it was good aggressive football from the Argos to to not just kind of sit on the lead, but to keep taking deep shots. Um, he, you know, he showed that he deserves to be one of the starting wide receivers if everybody's healthy. Um, so I, th- I thought it was a good throw. And I thought it was a, a nice catch. And uh, I'm going to choose that as my best play. Yeah, I, I support that. It was it was a really nice throw. It was a great route. It's a tough ball to throw. And there was some pressure coming in too. But yeah, he got that out there. It, I was nervous for a moment because, again, that's the type of pass that sometimes gets returned for a touchdown that you can cut in front of, but it was just on the money. It was a perfect throw and easy touchdown at that point for Jean-Pierre. And I agree. He's looked he's looked great. I, I love Jean-Pierre out there, and, and I, I wasn't expecting to see him all year. So that's a, that's a huge find. Now, for uh, worst play of the game, for me, it's I, I can't see anything beyond that block punt. That's all that's staying with me. Of all the bad things that happened in the first half, it's a meaningless play really in the fourth quarter that stuck with me. I can't believe they allowed another punt to get blocked. And that's just got to be my automatic worst play. Uh, yeah, mine builds on that. And that's the worthy fumble right after the block punt. I think you, you've you got to be aware of of, of where, where, what's happening in the game. And there are different degrees of fumble um, issues. And that just can't, you just can't give up a touchdown on a block punt and then fumble the return there. Didn't turn out to mean anything, but, you know, that's just, that's just brutal. You have to know that you cannot turn that ball over there. So, I mean, you, if you did that against a good team, I mean, that's 14 point swing is, you know, you're not going to beat Saskatchewan or Winnipeg or Hamilton with a 14 point swing. And that's what it could have been. So, Got to, got to tighten that up. That will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Again, the Argos win. It wasn't pretty for three of the four quarters, but that 27-point third quarter did it. 35-16 the final over the Ottawa Red Blacks. If you get a chance, don't forget to subscribe, to rate, to review. We love your feedback too. Reach out to us on Twitter. And don't forget to check out JB's report card, which will be up shortly on xsandargos.com. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.